Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So what's been happening with you? Been doing a little bit of traveling. Going to do a lot of traveling over the next few weeks. For yeah. any of our listeners who are going to the Aspen Ideas Festival, yeah. come find Margie and I. We are Tuesday. taking our pollsters on act on the road. We're yes. going to be joined by Mike Allen. Yes. Um, it's going to be awesome. Cannot wait. Yes. Um, it's going to be great. In the meantime, so I know you had... Oh, and I'm also going to be at Yale Women's Campaign School next <gasps> week. Oh, I love Yale Women's Campaign yeah. School. So I was a hello. student back in like really? 2008, back when I thought I might want to run for office one day. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. That, Fun, uh, that, more innocent like times. One. <laughs> more innocent times. Again, I'm no, telling you, you this it. whole show is just like... <laughs> Oppo, Oppo research heaven. Uh, again, I can never run because I've just said too many things on the Kristen show. Oppo on is like she doesn't like baseball. Than like the things I've done in the last week. <laughs> but doesn't anyway, like keep going. Um, so uh, anyhow, I so it's summertime. Yes. I know you have experience with acquiring a pool. Yes, and that it was. A, a lot of a process. Yes. So I do not have a backyard that you could fit. A pool in the ground in, but right, you can order a kiddie pool. Yes, from Amazon. I have a golden retriever who does not retrieve and is supposed to be genetically conditioned to like water. But since he doesn't like fetching, we were like, well, let's see how the water thing goes. Right. So we're like, let's order a kiddie pool. There's ton of great Instagram content sure. of people with their cute golden retrievers jumping into kiddie pools. So I order one. Great reviews on Amazon. It's twenty bucks. Sure, it arrives and we begin blowing it up. And it is straight up the size of my backyard. Oh, my God. We had to, like, move all the furniture. It said comfortably fits two adults. And it is, honest to goodness, could not fit in this studio right here. Like, not even close. It's massive. Really? And then Wally didn't even want to get in it. We had to, like, bribe him with treats. And then he kind of, like, halfway got in it. was like, you know I'm not going to move this much. Like, I don't need this whole space. This is (laughs) Is that what he's saying to you? (laughs) Excessive. So I I don't really need to go all the way over there the other side of the This is not my first time. As somebody who's supposed to be very numbers-driven, this is not my first time ordering something on Amazon, not checking the dimensions properly, and it arrives and is, like, three times larger than what I expected. The last time was an industrial dustpan. I just wanted a dustpan to be able to sweep up my backyard, and it came and it was the size of this How, table. Wait. It's like two feet across. You could clean a factory. I didn't floor even know that. It. I didn't even know that. Uh, yeah, well, I there's guess everything's. Have, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm. I I just need to stop shopping online. We've done those segments on drunk shopping. These were not drunk purchases. These were just Kristen not paying attention to the dimensions. And so now, if anybody is in D.C. and like wants to borrow an enormous inflatable pool, frankly, you can just have it because I cannot blow it up in my backyard. Like and you can't it, fold it down to return. I haven't it. even tried to fold it down. Mm-hmm. It's been inflated, but tilted on its side, like leaning against the side of my house, so that it doesn't refill with water when it rains, because that'd be really gross. But I haven't deflated it yet because I don't even know. Like that's going to be a whole thing, and then trying to stuff it back in the box, and I've just this is bad decisions. Oh, well, bad decisions. So Wally all is going to continue to be hot. Uh, Yards Park, that's where you need to take him. I finally saw, well, you can't take dogs in that pool. I finally uh, saw the thing you were talking about, the little splash yes, pool. You can't take so dogs cute, in amazing. Yes. Little kids were in it the other day when I walked by. Specifically says, 
no wallies allowed. Uh, I went Sad to a face. birthday party. I don't think you can rent it out, or but it was rented out, or I don't know what, or if it was just you know someone just staked it out. But I went to like a joint, like a twins birthday party there, and it was fabulous. It looks fabulous, it really fantastic. All right, okay. Let's what are the top lines? Talk about this week. The New York Times has reported that Trump's own pollster has him down in 17 states. The Trump team is pushed back. We will discuss the state of 2020. We will help sift noise from the news. And the first 2020 Dem debate lineup is basically set. Uh, we know Margie is polling for Steve Bullock. So I am super excited to discuss all of those shenanigans. Uh, I, yes, I will give the update. Um, then it is Pride. We're going to talk about some new polling on LGBT issues, as well as a new poll from Navigator about the abortion issue in the southern states. Then friend of the show, wanted, I wish he was a friend of the show, Lord Ashcroft, polling, uh, <laughs> polling nobility extraordinaire. Right. He is goals and he has new data out on the electorate. It's pretty cool. There's some new lean in polling on Me Too and men mentoring women in the workplace. And finally, friend of the show, Sean Trendy, his son created a poll on the most pressing issue of our times. We will discuss. I loved it. I loved that poll. That was so good. All right. Let's talk 2020 for a second. President's job approval is, you know, 44%, whatever. It's where it's been. Uh, The big drama this week or within the last day or so has been the New York Times reporting that Trump was briefed by Tony Fabrizio on some internal polling. Who was on our show. On our show. Yes. Not messing around. Right. Tony is not. I do not believe the kind of person who comes in and tries to sugarcoat things. Well, he said in the, I mean, he said in a story like or somebody was quoted about him saying he's the kind of guy who says you're going to die. Like, <laughs> and and then we had Joel Benenson on the show and he's like, well, that's not a very, you know, bold thing to say. We're all going to die. And I was like, whoa, this is getting dark. <laughs> like, I just remember this very vividly because like I knew what that quote was about. That quote was like. You, you know, you want a consultant who's going to tell you tough news, not just good news. But I also heard Joel's point, like, we're all going to die. Is that exactly the right? Anyway, I'm sorry to digress, <laughs> but I don't know why that like <laughs> that whole exchange I felt like was somehow a little bit more of a departure. Well, from the, the New usual York polling Times talk. is reporting that Tony Fabrizio told Trump politically <laughs> you're going to die. <laughs> right. And that's st- and, and I what I assume occurred is that the president believes the polls showing him not winning are fake news, was not taking this news well or not taking it to heart or not making strategic changes as a result. Somehow these results wind up in Maggie Haberman's hands. Right. Um, And so then today, well, actually, we're recording this on. Oh, no, we're recording this Thursday. So today I can use the phrase today. Um, The communications director for the Trump campaign tweets out. And I want to get the specific (laughs) language of this right, because this is, I think, very. It was quite funny. Relevant for us to discuss. It does not follow the uh, APOR transparency initiative rules, does it? No, 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 no. That basically he uh, he he tweets out that like, oh, we have new data it's and I'm reading this a direct right. quote. We have new data, not the same as alleged internal polling that was old, anonymously sourced, inaccurately described, and subject to erroneous media speculation. The new data tested issues Dems are running on in all 17 states polled POTUS leads. Let's unpack this from a dispassionate right. polling observer perspective. So, first of all, they're saying in all 17 states polled. 
which to me is him indirectly confirming Maggie Haberman's reporting that right. there were 17 states polled. Like, okay, so weirdly, I know this tweet was intended to say that the Haberman reporting was wrong. He's confirmed that it was 17 states. Right. So to me, it's confirming her reporting a little bit. But, but it could be a new poll in the same battleground because the 17 states. Sure. But the fact but yeah. that that detail yeah, is confirmed yeah, yeah. to me is like, yeah. huh. But the other thing that I think is an interesting tell here is it says the new data tested issues Dems are running on. So to me, this sounds like they're saying POTUS is leading when you do some kind of like Dem position versus POTUS position. Right. And they're testing like the best possible version of the president's position versus some cockamamie thing that well, they made up. No, about and, what the but Democrats let me, I, I will say, yeah. I don't, I have enough respect for Tony Fabrizio that I doubt it's like Trump believes in freedom and safety and awesomeness and Democrats <laughs> believe in trash, garbage, and murder. <laughs> like, I don't think that's the question. Probably. That. <laughs> uh, if it was, sure, POTUS leads in all 50 states. Um, what I assume Trash, is that murder. this is probably testing, like, Mr. President, if you went out and had this as your message, you can go strongly sure. against what I assume the pollster has framed as a fairly right. credible version of the Democratic message. Does that mean Trump will ever remotely come close to uttering a message close to what his advisors want? No, not necessarily. Sure. But... To me, that is kind of the tell here. That one, it sort of confirms like there are 17 states they're polling. But two, in a message test, they're finding the president up or according to his comms director. We don't know that that's true either. Again, there's no transparency here. We don't know how the questions are worded. But winning on an issue question is not the same as winning on a ballot. And that is they are attempting to obscure that here with this tweet. But they are not the same thing. Yeah. Now. Not, uh, not to be the Republican here, well, whatever, but there is a big difference between an issue poll and a ballot. But there's also, I think, a big difference between – so right now you have President Trump, who everyone knows, the good, the bad, and the ugly, versus Democratic contenders, some of whom are well-known, some of whom less well-known. They have not been sort of subjected to the full force sure, of whatever right. this election is going to be. And right. so – you know, for the Trump campaign, I assume their strategy will be to try to drive up the negatives very high on whoever the presumptive mm -hmm. nominee is or ultimate nominee, at which point once you get into that phase, then this matchup polling looks different. I believe that Obama was not polling well in swing states at this stage of the game either. And that's not doesn't prove anything. It just it's it's too early. So that's sort of why I don't understand like this vociferous pushback that this is fake news, because you could just argue like. It's kind of it's not a good place for the president to be if he's down in all of these states, but it's also at a certain level kind of irrelevant. Um, but instead, it's like become this whole story because it's become like Iraqi minister of information, like Baghdad Bob level, like all is well, all is well. And like, guys, right. but, guys. You know, but here's the thing. Look, I mean, there there's a utility to an uninformed vote, right? A vote ballot that's just like, you know, just. The names of the candidates or the president versus the Democratic nominee, you know, leaving that generic or putting in a specific candidate uh, on the Democratic side. There's a utility to that and there's a utility to testing some sort of profile informed vote. And, it, you know, is what we mm -hmm. call that. And there's a utility to both. It's not that one is good and one is bad. The fact that his tweet, it sounds like, said, well, the informed vote is good. 
suggests that the un, that the you know kind of more generic ballot test was not good, and that is borne out. That's consistent with all the public polling. Sure, the RCP. Average, looking at they have all the, you know, listing. Well, it's not an average yet, but they have all the listings of various head-to-heads uh, versus Trump, a, a, you know, variety of candidates. Some of them are national. Some of them are in specific states. And they haven't been so great. I mean, you know, in Texas, the president's been up by single digits. That's, you know, kind of the best one. The other ones recently, Trump is, has been trailing a variety of different uh, candidates. Now, you know, that's national. That's not in battleground states and et cetera, et cetera. Still, this these things are consistent. You know, it may be we don't know what the matchup, how you know how it was described, um, but it does suggest that the generic ballot of Trump versus whomever was not something that they would want to kind of elliptically describe in a in a tweet. Yes, <laughs> and you know. That's not great. That's obviously, you know, that's obviously not great. So, um, so I, I, you know, it, it's not a surprise. And for sure, you know, a Democratic candidate will take a lot more general election sized incoming than is happening now. That by the same token, you know, the president is net. He's he's underwater. You know, he's not doing well in head to heads, whether they're in, in, you know, battleground states or nationwide. I mean, you know, the the signs are all the same. Right. And on top of it, if you're kind of tweeting some sort of elliptical thing like that in a tweet, that doesn't seem like you're tweeting from a position of strength in your polling, particularly. Yeah, I just uh... not that I think, you know, sometimes we're like, well, release all your numbers. Like, I don't think that, you know, the, the the president is entitled to have internal campaign polling. Even I acknowledge that, right? Yep. That's he is allowed to have internal campaign polling. He is not required to release it to the public. But that kind of that kind of, you know, s- thing suggests to me is not really how you do an official release. What is your take on the issue raised by Nate Silver, which I will I do not have a strong feeling on one way or the other, but I thought it was an interesting question, which is. He sort of alleges that the New York Times should not have reported on the findings of the poll because it is reporting on it as fact without disclosing the actual numbers or anything about the methodology of the poll. And so he says, like, look, you would never run with a poll result where you had no information. So inserting it into a story, you know, is is still not something he thinks is right. I I think I, there is you yeah. need it because the news value is less the result of the poll and more the president's reaction to it. Right. And then I think his argument in another tweet was like, well, you know, president goes bananas and like screams at staff is in itself not particularly newsworthy well, that's either. A, that's because, a different argument. Because, you know, <laughs> we got we got lots of those stories. Do you need a new, you know, president goes insane? You know, where you have like. All the phrases that people use, he storms, he shouted, he sees, you know, all those all those kinds of words. Yeah. I I mean, so I'm I'm I I think that is a separate question. Like, I'm sympathetic to Silver's argument, but I don't think there's a way to report on this story, which I think is an interesting story without at least alluding to what the polls I mean that's like a, that's like extremely Nate Silver voice like why is the New York Times talking about like polling results that's like oh. the epitome of the kind of thing that he would want <laughs> to have a tweet about you true, know true and it was funny because there was something else that he tweeted yesterday 
that just passed my screen. And oh, he's it in said, a Twitter fight with David Sirota. Well, that's- so that's what it was. It was like, <laughs> if a can I just saw like, if a campaign is talking about their polling numbers, then that's not very good. And I was like, hey, excuse me, our open-ended debate at the Bullock campaign is an important one to have. And, and I'm like, oh, he's t- is he talking about the president getting mad at his staff? I'm like, oh, he's fighting with David Sirota. <laughs> no, he's not <laughs> subtweeting you. You are <laughs> not, not being subtweeted by like, Nate Silver. You're okay. all good. <laughs> Never mind. You're good. You're good. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, oh, there are, th- there are several polling battles going on right now on uh, Polster pollster twitter okay well let's before we move let's let's talk a little bit about this dem 2020 primary i mean the the national polls are still basically telling the same story they were you know over the last couple of weeks you've seen maybe a a a slight up tiny uptick in warren's numbers i actually think it i don't know if it was sanders or warren's numbers that were like the nexus of the david sirota versus nate silver fight like nate silver was making the case like no, there hasn't been a big change. And Sirota was like, no, I think it was like Bernie surging or something like that. Uh, yeah. So uh. it was because there was a Nevada poll that came out yesterday, the Nevada Monmouth poll that showed Warren over Sanders. That was seen as a sign that Warren is surging over Sanders. And I think, you know, that Sirota's, I think, was about like well, Quinnipiac showed in a variety of national polls that um, – that Sanders was surging, and so then, and then I've kind of lost, and then I, I don't remember what all the detail other details it, it were, ended but it was with, something yeah. like that. Uh, the more interesting 2020 story, I think, is uh, they've now got the 20 people for the debates? Question mark. It, it may not be official as of when we're taping, but are you checking your phone to see if it's yeah. <laughs> no, so it's happened? So um, yes. So, so talk, we're the camp. So us. we so we are uh, the campaign pollsters for the bullet campaign, and there was a you know folks who have been following this. So I'll catch everybody up because some folks have been following and some folks haven't. So the DNC sets the you know who which candidates are going to be on the stage of the debate. And the debates in two weeks, and there are going to be two nights of debates. Ten candidates on each one. Candidates are going to be randomly assigned who qualify are going to be randomly assigned to one of the two nights. And you can qualify by two different methods. One is by having a you know number of donors, and the other is by having an average, a polling average of at least one percent. Some candidates have done both. There are, you know, the there are other candidates who have just qualified with polling. Um, I don't think there are any candidates who qualify with just donors. So the candidates who have qualified with polling. Now, not it's not every poll that's included in whether or not you qualify. You have to have three where you get at least one percent, at least three. And they have to be from a pre-approved list of polls that are these are the outlets that are approved. And so Morning Console, for example, is not on the list. The Economist YouGov poll that came out a couple of days ago, that's not on the list. But uh, the outlets like NBC Wall Street Journal or Quinnipiac, Monmouth, Des Moines Register polls, which works with CNN. Fox News is on the list, isn't Fox it? Fox News is on the list. And the, um, you know, Suffolk USA Today and a variety of others. And Washington Post, ABC. And so what's was we had in one of the Washington Post ABC polls got to 1%. It turns out that because the Washington Post ABC poll asked the question as an open end, it therefore now does not count toward qualifying. So Bullock received three different 1% polls 
in the time frame. The time frame started in January, so we actually have one in December. But the time frame started in January, and it, the deadline was yesterday, uh, Wednesday. And you had to get to 1% in three of them. And so if the open end doesn't count, then we had two. And so that now there are 20 candidates, not including Bullock, on the debate stage, even though Governor Bullock is the only candidate of all the candidates who won statewide a Trump state in the year Trump won. He announced, I mean, part of the fact, one of the other, you know, there are a variety of things that kind of lead to how we're talking about this. I guess the first is how do you evaluate an open end versus closed end? Like what, you know, is one, are they different? Are they better not as good, harder, less hard. You One can argue, and I think this is a fair, you know, I mean, obviously this is a fair argument. It's harder to get to a higher number in an open end than in a closed end. So an open end is just like, who are you going to vote for? You could say, you know, you have to name somebody. Tim Tebow. Right. <laughs> you have to name a person. Not that I've ever <laughs> written him in for an office or whatever. So Let's not talk about he it. got 1% in that number. I mean, if you look at, you know, Biden got quite a bit lower in the open end than he has in some of the closed ends. You're not being read a list, right? So an open end, you know, to get to 1% is actually a harder thing to do in an open end than in a closed end. Um, so there's there's that issue. I mean, the other issue is like which candidates you've even included in your list. And because Bullock got into the race a little bit later than others because he was governor and he was still in session. Then, you know, there were some outlets who only included people who had announced. So he was not in some lists, you know, kind of earlier in the window. Um, I mean, the other, you know, the other question is like, how do you evaluate and look at different polls and use polling to decide how the candidates differ in strength this far out in this kind of, you know, capacity, right? In Iowa, you have a caucus. So the poll, it gives you an assessment. But obviously, if you go in caucus, that's a different way of registering your preference than, you know, a ballot in the same way that, you know, a ballot Mm -hmm. works in a poll, right? You have that. You know, you have national numbers, which are, you know, people who – you know, self-identify as folks who are Democrats and might vote in a primary, but we don't know if they actually meet the requirements in each state, right? And uh, so there's, you know, there's that issue. And now I'm not, I'm not quibbling with all of this because this is, these are just assessments of where, and some polls list the job titles of all the candidates, and some polls don't. And again, I'm not saying like the polls are wrong. I'm not criticizing any outlet. These are all valid ways of trying to figure out where people are. But it, as an assessment of sort of what the race is and like some kind of do it, does it do we look for some precision in preference for such a wide field this far out? That is very difficult to do when you're talking about an electorate that's changing, candidates that are you know have yet to introduce themselves, and we're trying to find you know, kind of real precise differences between some of these candidates at this stage and like national surveys or in surveys that may or may not reflect the electorate, primary electorates in different states. I mean, I think that's, you know, these are questions that, you know, are important to think about the role of polling and figuring out where the primary is. My two big thoughts on this were, one, I keep thinking about the conversation we had on this show, I believe I I feel like I remember recording this interview with Lee Mirangoff right from my hotel in Cleveland the 
afternoon before the first Republican debate, the big right. Fox debate in the arena where you had Trump in the middle. This was the Megyn Kelly, blood, whatever. I mean, there were a lot of big moments from that debate. We'll just leave it at that. Yep. But I remember having this conversation with him where he was talking about not wanting to release his polls in advance of some of these cutoff deadlines because he felt they were being used in a way polls are not intended to be used, that you have margins of error that mean just because you find someone at one percent, they could be as they could be higher than that. Right. Um, and a poll is is not a per, you know, it is intended to measure in pounds, not ounces. And right. this is asking polls to measure in ounces. And that's an inappropriate use of them. So that's number thing. Number one, I think about, although at a certain point, you do have to make a cutoff. Like, I get it. But in in a situation where it's a close call, I feel like you should be erring on the side of inclusion rather than exclusion. Because polls are intended to measure pounds, not ounces. But second, in the DNC rules, when they established the outlets that would allow allow to be considered, did they specify that open-ended questions didn't count? Because if not, then that's baloney. So the public, the like the disclosed rules, the published rules did not mention that. And the certification— Well, then that's baloney. I'm saying it. That's baloney. And then the certification. So folks may have seen that the, uh, you know, Bullock manager released, uh, you know, we apply. We like we we've qualified. We sent our qualification form because the form where you send in all of your backup to demonstrate that you qualified does not say anything about open ends. In Good. It. You and, should. And, you know, but it does list Washington Post, ABC. Make them justify it. Well, and I, it's not to be like egging you guys on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm like at comfortably smugging it. Like I'm yeah. like, yes, I mean, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, right. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, but, but I also think your point and, and there it is mentioned in this letter, which is that it's actually harder to get one percent in an open ended yeah. vote question than where a list is provided. I then keep thinking about the thing we talked about on last week's show where Harry Enton found that there were people who did not know who Michael Bennett was, but nonetheless chose him in the list in the poll. That you can have a situation where, say, someone might uh, not like Bill de Blasio and he might have net negative favorables, but still wind up on the stage from, you know, having like two or three more people say yes. And I mean, I don't know that it was that many individuals, but Maybe it was even less. I mean, that we're talking about these little fractions here and you have candidates who are like not well liked by the Democrats in a state. And yet that poll is still like getting them. That's just you have people picking Michael Bennett who didn't even know who he was. Like when you give people a list, you're introducing a little more like, uh, sure, whatever the last name is I heard. Right. Which is when we're talking about these very fine differences that are going to keep people in or out of debates, I frankly think not allowing an open end seems silly to me. Like, that seems like a very arbitrary decision. Right. So, you know, first of all, obviously, yeah. So this is not, again, this is not to disparage the candidates, any other candidates or the polling outlets, um, you know, who are all trying to, you know, figure out how to ask with limited research dollars, I'm assuming, how to ask about such a broad field. And they've all made different kinds of choices and also add something, you know, to the dialogue, which I think is part of, you know, what, you know how different outlets have handled this. Some outlets have asked questions about favorability. Some outlets have asked questions about like, you know, are you, would you consider this person as a separate from the actual ballot test? Some outlets have done, um, 
uh, like first in choice and second choice. I mean, everybody's tried different ways of looking at this to kind of come up with different, you know, enthusiasm. I mean, there's different ways to measure this, right? And so what in the aggregate, the way you would if you were working for, an, you know, a campaign and doing internal polling or if you were looking at all of the public polling and trying to do some assessment, you could come up with maybe some way to say, OK, I'm looking at these, you know, eight or ten different kinds of measures of candidate strength as opposed to, you know, the the percentage in the in the ballot test. But that's this is a poll. That's a polling issue, because obviously what the you know, that rule of looking at just the horse race, that was, you know, that was the rule. I'm not quibbling on that rule because that's clearly has always been the rule. But um, but as a polling issue, are you you know, is that the only or best way to assess how one candidate is doing over another. I mean, especially when you have such a, you know, such a big field. So and the stakes are high because you're talking about amplifying or minimizing voices, you know, in in the debate. So Uh, someone else who has a net negative favorability in the Nevada poll, uh, Mike Gravel. (laughs) Can I just read you this tweet? Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievably like, is this one of those teenagers yeah, running your Twitter yeah, account tweets? Yeah. And then we can take a quick break. Yes. Uh, this was a tweet from Mike Gravel this morning. We were really sorry to hear that at John Delaney, at Eric Swalwell, at Hickenlooper, at Bill de Blasio, and at Michael Bennett polled below us in the National Change Research <laughs> Poll after spending <laughs> millions on their campaigns. Hopefully your families still love you. <laughs> What is going on out there? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, wow, wow. Okay, I just, I mean, it was polling relevant and it made my jaw drop. And like, not a lot makes my jaw drop these days, but that did. I mean, maybe that's one of the first like negative shots fired from one of the campaigns to another. I don't know. From the the gravel tweens. He has like teenagers running his Twitter account. It's like a thing. Yes. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about polling on pride and some new polling on abortion from Navigator. Yeah. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. All right, we're back. Yeah. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Uh, some fresh polling coming out from Gallup. I know. I love this. I love when Gallup releases stuff because yes. they have comparisons going back to, like, the ancient times. 1977. The ancient times. I know. I'm just kidding. It's kind of. Uh, I was th- Richard's looking I at me was like three. I was three. It was not that long ago. Uh, <laughs> they, but I mean, I love it. They have comparisons going back to like the 194. I mean, it's fascinating. Yes. So here they have questions about um, people's sort of different views on things like. Uh, do you think that gays or lesbians should or should not be hired for each of the following occupations? And back in 1977, you had 68% saying yes for salesperson, 
You had 51% saying yes for the armed forces, but you had less than majorities for doctors, elementary school teachers, and clergy. That has now dramatically increased. 95% of people saying yes for salesperson, 91% saying yes for doctors, 83% saying yes for the armed forces. And I believe we have a little bit of polling um, that we've seen about now they ask about sort of like transgender individuals in the military. Like the questions are totally different now. Yes. Um, elementary school teachers, 81 percent, 72 percent for clergy. There have also been pretty dramatic jumps in things like. Wait, the- hold on. Before we go on to the next thing. I mean, who are the people, though, now who are like, no, we don't want. Anyway, that's it makes me sad. But anyway, I it, understand. There are big difference. There were massive differences between all these jobs in the 70s. There are not as big differences between these jobs now. But it is interesting that in the 70s, 51% said armed forces. I mean, that's actually quite interesting since that like became a big issue much later, you know, mm-hmm. politically much later. But even in 1977, 51% we're okay with it. The biggest change of all of these questions where they've, they're they comparing to 1977 is in the percent who believe that gays and lesbians should be allowed to adopt children. Back in 1977, it was only 14 percent, but that has jumped all the way to 75 percent. That is the single biggest change on any of these questions. Um, and we've got a little bit of polling down here from PRRI a bit later on to, that we'll get to in just a second about things like religious institutions engaging in things like helping match families with children's for adoption, et cetera. And you see like wide majorities, even of Republicans, saying that religious institutions that engage in helping adoption support um, should have to treat gay and lesbian couples right. uh, the same as a heterosexual couple. Yep. Um, so anyhow, this is clearly of all of the things that have been tested in this study, that is the biggest leap from 1977. Yeah, yeah. And in 77, 43%, just 43% said gay or lesbian relations between consenting adults should be legal. Now it's 83%. Aren't there still some states where like, there are technically laws on the books that never get enforced? I mean, there are all kinds of laws well, on the uh, books in all kinds of states on things that never get enforced. Right. Is this one of them? I guess so. I mean, I know the Supreme Court ruled on this quite a sure. long time ago. So I guess there's probably some states where this is still on the books, but... I don't know. We should Google that. Well, PRRI. Get it off the, get it off the books, people. Yes. PRRI has some polling uh, additionally on transgender issues and rights, um, which was not something that it, I assume was being polled about in 1977, because this is an issue that the public conversation has changed a lot about, right. even in just the last couple yep. of years. Um, so this from PRRI, they're asking people, I'm, I'm fascinated by this question, compared to your views five years ago, are your current views about rights for transgender people generally more supportive, uh, much more supportive, more supportive, more opposed, or much more opposed. And they find that 62% of Americans say that they are more supportive, as well as 47% of Republicans who say they are more supportive. Only 36% of Republicans say they are more opposed. However, among conservative Republicans, the plurality says more opposed at 43%, 40% say more supportive. For independents and Democrats, wide majorities, two-thirds and up for the most part, of uh, saying that they are more supportive of transgender Uh, the rights for transgender people. I mean, this also includes, by the way, 52% of white evangelical Protestants. Um, Mm -hmm. So some pretty fascinating divides. Really the only subgroup here that they highlight that is more opposed now or 
says they are more opposed than they used to be is conservative Republicans. And that's even by a fairly slim margin. Right. I mean, I guess it's, you know, can you accurately, do you know about your own level of being more or less supportive? Is that a thing that you can kind of accurately And that's a very self-report on this kind of thing is hard. Right? Because you may want to think that you are more supportive. And then if, you know... If you're tracking from actual, you know, from before, maybe you're the same. I don't know. Maybe you didn't have an opinion five years ago. But also at the same time, you can aspire to be, even if you're just aspiring to be more supportive, that's also, I think, an important thing to capture. So anyway, but it's just something to think about. Twelve states, by the way, still ban sodomy a decade after court ruling. This was from a couple years ago. So Okay. I I knew it was. They may have. This was from a few years ago, so it may not be. That was the fastest I could Google, so it may still be a couple states. That's okay. It's reportable on the show. <laughs> um, one of the things breaking so news. There's from there's a whole wealth of data in this PRRI poll. I I don't know that we have time to get into every one of the questions. I would commend to all of you to go check it out. But something that I thought was interesting is they ask people about um, their views on gender identity. Do you think there are only two possible gender identities, man and woman? Or do you think there are a range of possible gender identities? So for all Americans, you have 43% that say there are only two genders and they believe this strongly. And there's 12% that say there are only two genders and they don't believe this strongly. I kind of like this question, by the way, where you're asking people not just do you believe something, but how strongly do you believe it? Right. I think this is an interesting and frankly a more valuable way of assessing things than asking someone agree, disagree. I always think agree – like you're asking a respondent to be more bought into what they're saying, right. whereas believe and then giving these sort of gradations, I think is I prefer this as a question. Right. Wording. So you find a uh, about a majority of Americans believe that there are only two genders, but not all of them view that strongly. Um, a quarter of Americans believe that there is a range of genders and they believe that strongly. I was fascinated by then they have another question they asked, which is about bathroom bills. Do you favor or oppose laws that require transgender individuals to use bathrooms that correspond to their sex at birth rather than their current gender identity? People are pretty split on this question. 45% favor, 47% oppose. But it does not one-to-one correlate with your beliefs about whether gender is binary mm-hmm. or not. There, If you believe gender is binary and that there are only two genders, uh, you lean 55% towards saying, yes, you favor these bathroom bills. But only 55%, a solid 4 in 10, believe gender is binary but also sort of are okay with saying, look, transgender individuals should use the bathroom of their gender identity. Right. Similarly, you kind of find a same dynamic among people who believe gender is more of a spectrum. Right. That a full third of people who believe gender is a spectrum nonetheless sort of support these bathroom bills saying you should use the bathroom of the sex of your birth, not of your identity. So it's these things are all, I think, a lot more complicated. And like those views are less correlated than I might have expected they would have been. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think people are still learning about what some of these topics are. I mean, this doesn't capture kind of how closely people are following this. Um, this is phrase. The question is phrased in. I don't want to say in the progressive way because that's not quite right, but in like the kind of inclusive way. Um, when you say you know correspond to their sex at birth rather than current gender identity, that's you know not the way someone who supports bathroom bills would phrase that question. It's That's not, I don't want to say it, that it, I, I don't mean to say that it's biased. I mean to say that it's using, you know, the preferred language of folks who would be affected by this bill. So, um, so, I, you know, so I think that that's interesting too, but that doesn't mean that folks are necessarily familiar with all the implications, which may be why, 
you see it's not complete one for one for some of these questions. Now, one of the things that I did think was valuable was they ask another question, which is about religiously based service refusals. Um, And that's I'm just reading straight from like the title for their chart where they say um, they talk about things like uh, doctors, lawyers, teachers and social workers refusing to provide services to particular groups of people if it violates their religious beliefs, et cetera. And they have framed it in, I think, the way that actually religious liberty advocates by saying allowing. You're you're saying, do you support allowing someone to do something or not, rather than framing it in more of a restrictive way that that like it's it's uh, it's being framed as like you can't do this and therefore – um, you need laws that specifically allow someone to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but here you find even a majority of Republicans oppose allowing licensed professionals like doctors, lawyers, teachers, and social workers to refuse to provide services to particular groups of people. You find a majority of Republicans saying they oppose allowing religiously affiliated agencies that receive federal funding to refuse to place children with qualified gay and lesbian couples. The only issue where you find a really big, big, big difference between party is the like the cake baker example. Um, Allowing a small business owner to refuse to provide products to gay or lesbian people if doing so violates their religious beliefs. Only 39% of Republicans oppose that compared to 73% of Democrats. Yeah. I I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not surprised because that's the one that's kind of been in the news a lot. Um, You know, I think overall what the PRI poll shows, I mean, I think it shows movement in, you know, in the more progressive direction on on a lot of these LGBT issues. That one question aside, I mean, the one question to just go back to the transgender piece for a minute, they had tracking on the military where it showed a real, you know, to the extent there was change in support for service in the military among transgender, that was, you know, there was a movement among Republicans, which I think is interesting, especially since at odds with some things coming out of the administration. Well, let's take another quick break. And when we get back, we'll talk about uh, Margie's, the new Navigator poll on abortion, Lord Ashcroft, and the most important poll of the day, Sean Trendy's son's poll. (laughs) Very excited about this. (laughs) Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. All right, we're back. So this past week, I was at the E2 Summit, which is like Mitt Romney's own personal Davos, if you will. Mm. Um, And at his this summit, I was one of the speakers. Um, We also had a, a talk from Lord Ashcroft. So Lord Ashcroft is he is a I believe he is a life peer. Um, so someone who has has a title of nobility and uses his considerable resources to study uh, public opinion. There was a quote in his talk that was 
no joke, one of my favorite uh, things I've ever heard someone use to describe my feelings about the polling world. Uh, and let, I'm going to pull up the exact quote because he was kind enough to release his transcript. It is pointing out the difference between what voters think and what politicians and pundits think they think is an appealing way to create a certain amount of mischief. I love it. Um, so he's kind of just studies this because he's curious and he's interested. And he initially had started off by doing this because uh, he wanted to kind of do his own autopsy, if you will, on the conservatives in the UK and then just found that Hey, polling is a really interesting and fun field. Um, And so at E2, he kind of rolled out some new analysis he's done. Um, I think the most interesting piece of which is he he divides up the American electorate by counties along two axes. Um, One is diversity, ethnic, cultural, population density. um, And the second axis is sort of economic security. Um, To what extent do you have good health outcomes, wealth, well-being, et cetera? So richer, healthier places versus poor, less healthy places, um, and then diversity, as as I previously defined. And what he basically finds is that uh, Republicans back in the 80s used to do really well in that quadrant of the map that was low diversity, high uh, security. So kind of like rich white places. Mm-hmm. Um, and Democrats used to do really well in places that were very diverse, but more sort of economically downtrodden. And he plots out the Republican and Democratic vote um, and like the types of places where like the core of their support came from on average mm-hmm. and finds that Democrats now it's like both parties have moved quadrants to where Republicans, it's still low diversity, but now it's also sort of low economic security. Mm-hmm. And Democrats, it's gone from being uh, low mm. security to high security. So you've and, and that is really the I mean, it's the it's the J.D. Vance hillbilly elegy sure. explains Trump. The, but it's this is like data kind of really interestingly visually backing it up. And he also sort of plots out in the U.K., you know, the general election there used to be along the old American line where labor was really good with sort of lower income people who lived in more diverse cities mm-hmm. and conservatives were much better in or pardon me that uh, they were he was big among um, people who lived in sort of uh, more diverse uh, but also lower security places now he finds that flipped when you look at the brexit vote that the brexit vote actually realigned British politics along these same lines that the Trump-Clinton election realigned American politics, that the axis used to be like conservatives were, you know, rich, rich folks who lived in, you know, Tony suburbs. Are there suburbs in the UK? I feel like it's kind of. Yeah. It's like a little different than here. Um, Anyhow, so he, I mean, there's, I, I won't belabor the point. There's tons of data here. Go check it out. But I think it is a fascinating set of data visualizations, um, and he kind of tries to cluster all of the different Democrats and Republicans where in these quadrants they would tend to fall, um, and therefore, you know, who has the ability to kind of grab big constituencies based on where they appeal. That was pretty interesting. Uh, that is interesting. I think for the he does a map of the states. I think the states, my quibble would be, I think, because the bubbles look like they're sized by the population of the states, they probably should be sized by like the margin of those states rather than the size, I think. Or that would be an alternative view. Like if you looked at the margin, D versus R. That would be. And I think, you know, the and what he's got here for the colors, again, is a blue state is a state that was a Clinton state. Right. Red is a Trump state. 
state. And yellow is one of those states like Iowa or Florida that had voted for Obama in the past, but then voted for Trump this time around. Uh, check it out. Lord Ashcroft uh, at Lord Ashcroft polls. Tons of interesting stuff. Take a look. All right. Up next, we have some polling on working relationships in the Me Too era. Uh, this poll came across my radar because it was part of a Twitter thread where a smart analyst was going after the headlines being attached to this poll, mm. um, which is something that we here at the pollsters are big advocates for. Don't just read the headline. The headline is probably overselling the poll result. Um, in this case, it was sort of suggesting new poll shows that 80 percent of men won't mentor young women. And it was like, whoa, that's really bad. What the poll actually shows is still disappointing, but not quite as severely so. They find that 60 percent, and this was done with SurveyMonkey, 60 percent of managers who are men are uncomfortable participating in a common work activity with a woman, such as mentoring, working alone, or socializing together. Doesn't, oh, well, that's a lot of things. That's a lot of things. That's and it a doesn't lot of mean things. They don't... Socializing is different than working together. Correct. And <laughs> But not that... You should also be able to socialize, but it is different from working together. Correct. And it also doesn't say that they don't do it. It just means that they're more uncomfortable or they're they're thinking about it more. Um, they say that they're finding in this research is that senior level men are now more hesitant to spend time with junior women versus junior men um, on things like having one-on-one -on -one meetings, having work dinners, traveling together for work. 36% um, of men actually do say they have avoided mentoring or socializing with a woman because they were nervous about how it would look. Um, and then they have some polling here that... Just don't be creepy. But That's in it. this case, they're just... I would say that if you are a guy, you may be worried that even if you think you're not behaving in a creepy way, the way it looks, that even... That to me sounds like they're less concerned even that the woman they are working with is going to have a problem with right. it. But more that like someone else will pass by the office or pass by the table at the restaurant and be like, hmm, what's going on there? Right. Do we have a Me Too situation on our hands? So... I mean, it is I, I am I am for all that I am a huge believer in women should have every opportunity in the workplace. Men don't be creepy. All of the above. I don't blame guys for feeling a little more like I hope that what I'm doing's not freaking people out. I hope that I'm not getting myself into a bad situation. Now, there are big differences here between men and women on their views of who is hurt the most by reported <laughs> sexual harassment, where men... Uh, let me uh, guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have uh, men much more likely to say that they believe that the consequences are... Well, actually, it's 50%, so I don't want to say much more likely. They're more likely than women to believe that it is more damaging to the career of the harasser than the victim when sexual harassment happens, whereas 64% of women say it is the victims who end up paying a heavier price. But an interesting and complex poll taking a look at a lot of different angles of this issue. Yeah, we haven't had um, a Me Too poll in a while. Yeah, and but I, I it caught my attention because it was flagged as like 60% of men won't mentor young women. And like, that's not what the poll shows, thankfully. Clickbait. Clickbait. Um, talk us to us a little bit about your Navigator abortion poll. Yeah, so I, it's always, you know, we do this every month. It's linked um, at navigatorresearch.org. We had a press call, and as folks were getting on, 
someone said, hi, it's Ariel Edwards-Levy from Huffington Post. And I want to be like, hey, girl. But that seemed like not the right way to start out my press call. (laughs) (laughs) We talk about your jokes all the time. Got any new jokes for us that we could talk about this week? Oh, we'll talk. (laughs) I'll do this and then remind me to talk about the greatest tweet that ever tweeted. Okay, will do. So, um, but so just to summarize briefly, I, the one of the key headlines from this was we asked about a series of issues and said in recent weeks, how much have you heard, seen, or seen about the following issues? Abortion bans passed in Alabama, Georgia, and other states was number one on the list ahead of congressional invest- investigations into Trump, ahead of debate around the potential impeachment of Trump, ahead of. Trade war ahead of, amazingly, 2020 Democratic presidential primary election. I mean, ahead of all those things was the uh, abortion ban. So I think that's that was particularly interesting. It was even more true among Democrats. And however we ask the question, whether it's who do you trust more, Democrats or Trump, Democrats or Republicans in Congress, um, or a variety of kind of climate baseline questions on uh, views toward abortion more broadly, on all of those, um, you had a clear gap where people prefer Democrats position or were supportive of abortion rights. So that was, you know, that was something that was came off really clear. Um, and then people really opposed the various bans in some of these states. And so whether it's the Alabama ban or bans in Georgia and Missouri and Ohio, like the heartbeat um, uh, bills, quote unquote, heartbeat bills, those were people opposed those. When you give more information about what all of these are, the opposition grows even more, but it's already clearly majority opposition. And people really feel that that overall there's a risk to or that the right to an abortion is under threat. So um Pretty clear results that these were not that these bans are not consensus positions across America. So, um, so that was interesting. Anyway, there's a lot more out there. You can take a look. Yeah, and they can find it. Where's the navigator? Navigatorresearch.org, and they have a Twitter handle now, so you can go find them and they tweet stuff. All right. So I want to circle back to the uh, you talked about Ariel Edwards leaving. Yeah. This will take like 30 seconds. Sure. Do you know? I'm going to say a name. I want you to tell me if you know who this person is. Yeah. Amelia Mignonette Thermopolis Rinaldi. Oh, I saw that. And I was like, I don't know what this is. I, okay. don't, know, I don't know what this is. <laughs> what is this? So this was so. I have a feeling it was. Just, and then I saw you were like, I love this. And I'm like, okay, this must be a show or it's a, Anna Hathaway's from character like in the Princess Diaries. Years after me. Okay. <laughs> so so her character is Mia Thermopolis, and then she uh, finds out she's actually the princess of this country, and her real name is Amelia Mignonette Thermopolis Rinaldi, got it. princess of Genovia. The Princess Diaries is a fabulous, fabulous rewatchable film. Richard, stop shaking your head at me. Anyhow, this during my Lenten Twitter fast, I missed Ariel Edwards Levy make an amazing super nerd deep cut joke where she it was just like Amelia Mignonette thermostatic public opinion Rinaldi, which thermostatic <laughs> public opinion is basically the theory that like when government spends a lot, all of a sudden cutting spending becomes more popular. Or when government cuts spending, then all of a sudden spending more becomes popular. That like people behave kind of like a thermostat, like correcting to like, oh, OK, it's gotten too hot. Let's cool it back down again. Oh, anyhow, I missed this tweet when she right. first tweeted it. And I am one of like three people on planet Earth who would get How all did you components find, were you of this Were you just record? like in like so the DMV she, and you're like, I I have to just read all of Ariel Edwards-Levy's no, tweets? No, she reposted like, it. Oh, okay. She reposted it. <laughs> like she retweeted herself with like a, some days I wonder if I should just change my Twitter name to this. And I was like, how did I miss this? Then I looked at the date and it was like early March. Uh, I was like, ah, oh, 
I was I was on my my That'll Jesus Twitter you. fast. That'll no, no. So anyhow, it was like the greatest thing I've ever seen on Twitter that I'm probably and she even said like no one else will get this and so I showed up in her mentions like three months late like hello I'm here I saw it <laughs> I saw that you and have I was an like, audience <laughs> I'm like that is gonna be whatever that is it's gonna be some nerdy thing that I'm too old to get and I was Princess right. Cyrus <laughs> is not nerdy no it was, true. Uh, it was very mainstream was if you were of a certain age at a yes. certain time yes it was past the year where I would have been watching them okay so last but not least poll of the week. I loved this. Uh, Sean Trendy, trying to explain what I do for a living to Mason, five years old, and got into what a survey is. So he designed a survey all on his own and asked that I post it. Do you prefer Pepsi Zero Calorie or ham? (laughs) I think I'm team ham. I don't know. Like with most people on Twitter, and I gave my... um, administered the survey to my own children, and their response was, what is Pepsi Zero Calorie? And I was like, yes, my work here is done. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm going to see your your nerd things that you passed on to your children. I'm going to raise you to no soda, only ham. <laughs> Never mind what the Brooklynites and my family would say about that, that they were like, we're team ham all the way. We'll just put that aside. But they were like, we don't know anything about Pepsi Zero Calorie. That's a phrase we've never heard. I am an avowed Pepsi partisan, so I was already disposed to being, but I don't like diet soda. Even the ones that are like, it's not diet, it's zero. It's using some other sweetener that doesn't taste as garbagey as the stuff that's in regular right. diet soda. But it's all garbagey. Just give me the actual high fructose corn syrup and like, let's just be done with it. Sure. So, uh, but so I lean Pepsi, and also my preferred holiday dish of choice is like turkey, literally anything else, ham. Mm. But I'm not really anti-ham. And mm. frankly, a good honey-baked ham is totally fine. So I lean toward being in the 20% that chose Pepsi Zero Calorie, but I, I understand where the 80% ham majority is coming from. Yeah. I mean, I am definitely not like, oh, yeah, bring in the big ham, you know, at the holidays. Like, that's just not – that's not for me. But my kids love – and I think – and they get this, obviously, not for me, from their father. Like, just a good slice of ham can, is always – it's always well received in whatever, whatever way, wanna, the, whatever way you want to, whatever way you want to serve it. They're always like ready for a slice ham. Ham is one of the few meats that is totally delicious cold, which I think makes it a strong choice as like a holiday when you have a lot of people staying at your Maybe. house. Um, that like you can just go into the fridge and like slice off a piece of I that know, it ham. Just seems and just very anticlimactic. Throw it in your you mouth. Know? It's just like <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it needs like a new name or something that sounds a little bit more. Gives it a little bit more personality, which ham is clearly lacking. I've got another great uh, Maybe old millennial me. reference. <laughs> um, do you remember Keenan and Kel? It was a show on what? Nickelodeon during no. the mid-90s. <laughs> I enjoy ham. Never mind. No, no. <laughs> I remember, gonna, I remember like the slime off. being slimed, that slimy show. That oh, that always that. grossed me out. That yeah. was I was always like, I wonder what that stuff tastes like. Nope, I don't even want to think about what it tastes like. This is horrifying to me. So, but I was a big consumer of Nickelodeon uh, entertainment in the mid '90s, and ham was a part of the Keenan and Kel shtick. Mm. Okay, okay. What's on the trend line this week? This week, I have a boatload of interviews lined up because I'm going to be traveling for the next few weeks. We're going to pre-record some stuff, but I'm talking to Rich Tao, who does these focus groups of Obama Trump voters yeah. in partnership with Focus Point Global. Oh, he, is that what was in Axios? Yep, the abortion. 
But did they do one on abortion? They, I believe they asked about the, it. It was in one of the stories that they wrote about our navigator poll. They talked about that. I believe it was that focus group. Yep. So Rich always, he he partners with Axios. They have like exclusive access yeah. to his findings first. And then he comes on the trend line every week and we talk about it. We play audio from the focus groups, oh, which is cool. real interesting. So you could hear directly from the Obama-Trump voters themselves and what they think about things. Um, so we'll have him on the program. I'm having uh, Celinda Lake's going to be coming on in the next few weeks. Aww. I've got Maddie Dupler from uh, National Taxpayers Union to talk about some of this tariffs stuff and economics. I've got someone from Bipartisan Policy Center who's going to be joining us to talk about That's some new stuff there. We got we got a boatload of things. Well, tell Celinda I said hi. I will. She... I don't know if I mentioned the show when I we changed the name and it went public, you know, that to GBAO. She sent me flowers. It was very sweet Aww. of her. Yes, it was she very, is the best. Yes, it was very warm and nice of her. Okay, where can you find us? You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at K Soltis Anderson or at www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye.